So I'm going to go into Romans 8 verse 16. I'm going to actually read um, quite a few passages here. I think I'm going to go to about uh, 29, I think, um, even though I put 25 on the slides. I'm going, to, yeah, I'm going to go all the way through actually to verse 30. I'm just going to read this passage because I want to show you that this is a passage that's taken in context of all of this. So, so we're no longer slaves to sin. We, we're, we're released from the law. There's no condemnation in Christ. So how does that affect our daily lives? How do we get to live with hope in a broken world? This is what it says in Romans 8 verse 16. I'm just going to read it through and then as we go through the message, I'll pull out a few things. But Romans 8 16 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's so much in what Paul is saying, but I want to connect it today to there is no condemnation in Christ and our position as children of God and what that means for our daily living. I'm going to go into that a little bit, but let's just go ahead and pray together this morning. Father, we we thank you so much that we are your children today, Lord, that we stand before you knowing that our lives have been bought by the blood of Jesus, that we have been cleansed of all unrighteousness by our faith in Christ Jesus, that we stand before you and, and we're here before you today as your children, as the ones whom you love, Lord. We thank you that there is no condemnation and no separation between us and you. And so this morning, we thank you that we can hear your voice clearly. We thank you that you can inspire hope within each of our hearts, Lord God. We thank you that we can take on every single day and every single week and every single month with courage and with hope for the future, knowing that you are at work in all circumstances. We give you all the glory for this this morning, Lord. We just thank you for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our church, and uh, what you're saying to us by your spirit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So when when I talk about hope, I remember a story I heard as a child um, and uh, the story has always stuck with me because it, it told um, the story or the tale of, of, a, of a guy who uh, went missing uh, in a, and, and a blizzard kicked up. And 
he was literally, you know, you found if, if you, those guys that do the expeditions out into the Arctic or, or those kind of really blizzardy areas, the really cold areas, that sometimes people um, die only a few meters from the front door because the blizzard would be so strong that they actually couldn't even see where they were. And, and so this was one of those cases where somebody had gone missing and a storm kicked up and there was this massive blizzard and they were wandering through the snow and couldn't find uh, you know, home, couldn't find a place um, where they would be safe from the cold. And, and as the story goes, this guy fell down in the snow at one point and was ready to give up. He had wandered around, he was freezing cold, his, his whole, you know, your, your brain doesn't think properly anymore and, and, and all of your, your, your uh, extremities begin to freeze up. And, and so he just fell down on the snow and he was ready to give up. And uh, he felt like he was going to be overtaken life. I don't know if any of you have kind of felt that way before when you're in the midst of a storm where you're like, there's so much going on here. I've wandered around. It feels like I don't know where to go. I, I feel like I don't know uh, wh- how to get home. I don't know get, how to get out of this situation. And there's moments where we're just ready to give up and we just fall down in the snow and we're like, well, I, I, there's nothing more I can do for myself. And this is the position that this man was in. Um, and as the storm calmed just a little bit, he was able to see just a candle in a window. And For the entire night, as he lay there, too cold to get up, too cold to move, he just kept focusing on that light that he could see in the window. And the story goes that that, um, he was found in the morning and he was brought in. And the people asked him, how did you survive? This entire night, how did you survive lying in the snow, lying in the cold with this storm where everybody else would have died? And he said, I saw a light in the window and I just focused on that light. And I just realized that there is hope. And hope is one of the most powerful forces that we can experience in this world. God says uh, in the book of Corinthians, Paul writes, and he says that, that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. If you have hope, it does something on the inside of you. It, it strengthens you. It, it causes you to push through. It's, it's the thing that gives us energy to live by. We cannot live without hope. I've heard people say that you could live close to 40 days without food and, and, and maybe six to eight days without water, but a person cannot live a single day without hope. Not a single day without hope. Think about it. When we become hopeless, when we give up, Martin Luther said everything that is done in the world is done by hope. Everything that's done in the world is done by hope. We do it because we believe in what will be next. We believe in what will come in the future. It's what moves us to act and to live and to pursue and what keeps us going. It's the, it's the message of the Bible that we are called in hope, that there is more for us. It's the good news. It's the involvement of God. That's our hope. You know, there's many different kinds of hope, but our hope is an anchor. That's a great name for a church. So it's, a, it's an anchor. Our hope, this hope that we have in Jesus is an anchor that holds beyond the veil in the presence of God. It cannot be moved. It's firm and secure, the anchor for our souls. That's, that, that's the hope that we have. It's not a, a hope in something that will disappoint us because we can hope in the wrong things. But we have found a hope that is firm and that is secure in Jesus, the involvement of God, the grace of God with our lives. And we need that hope because we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there's so much that people suffer and, and there's so many things that we face and so many challenges and if you've been alive, if you've been alive any amount of time, then you'll know that, that, that life is, can be really difficult at times. 
So where do we find our hope in those difficult moments? And can we understand the difference between our present sufferings and the eternal glory that God will reveal to us, this glorious future? Jesus, in Luke 4, verse 18, and I find this so amazing that Jesus arrives on the scene and he is hope to us. He is God's grace. He is God's answer to our human problem, our separation from God. And he shows up and he says in Luke 4, 18, he sits down in the synagogue and he makes his manifesto. He's basically like, this is why I'm alive. This is why I'm here. This is why I've come. He says in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has empowered me or anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. I'm here to share good news. Just think about that. When Jesus came down, it wasn't to condemn, it wasn't to break down, it wasn't to, to, to uh, rebuke, it was to empower. It was to proclaim good news. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what happens when Jesus is involved with our lives. That's what happens when you understand and put your faith in the gospel and your condemnation is taken away and you understand that because Jesus has now free reign in my life to do what he wants to do, that looks like something. The involvement with God with your life is going to look like something. It's gonna produce something. If you're captive to something, it's going to bring freedom. If you're in bondage to something, it's going to bring liberty. If you're, if you're blind, it's going to bring sight. It's gonna awaken you to truth. If you're oppressed, he'll bring liberty. That's hope. This is what Jesus says, I've come to give you hope. If you're oppressed, if you're broken, if you're hurting, I'm going to turn those things around. And where it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it's connected to the year of Jubilee where every 50 years in Israel, all of everybody's debts would be wiped out. Everybody's debts. I just, I keep thinking to myself, like, how many loans were taken out in the 49th year? I mean, how many guys are like, one year, baby, and this is all going to be sorted out? But every 50 years in Israel, they would wipe out everybody's debts. And what Jesus is saying is, I have come to proclaim the grace of God, the wiping out of your debt. The favor of God is for you in this year, in this moment, at this time. And that's why Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present age not worthy of being compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever suffering that you're going through, it's not even worthy of being compared to the things that God is going to reveal in your life. How he is going to uh, bring his glory and his goodness and his grace. How he is going to work all things together for good. It's not even worthy of being compared. There's something so much greater that lies on the other side of your suffering. I heard Stephen Furtick say this week that suffering, my suffering today, my, today's sorrow is tomorrow's strength. Today's sorrow is tomorrow's strength. Whatever you're going through right now, God is strengthening you through that, and there is so much hope in it, and this is the hope that we have, and, and that's why we have this, this hope which doesn't disappoint. Many of you were hoping in Conor McGregor early this morning. So many hopefuls. And I understand that you're disappointed this morning because you put your hope in the wrong place. The hope is not in the Irish. It's not in any person. And that's why we get disappointed so often. Because we put our hope in people. We put our hope in ourselves at times. And, then we, and when we lose the fight... Well, you know, we get 
we get dismayed, we get overwhelmed because we have put our hope in the wrong place. We live in a broken world. And that's what Paul writes about. He says, he, he talks about hope. He talks about this great future that God has. And he says, even creation itself is subjected to futility because God has subjected it in hope. Creation itself longs for redemption from the brokenness of this world. When, 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 when we sinned as people and all of this, this, even the physical creation came into subjection to sin and came under the effects of the broken world in which we live, creation itself longs for the revealing of the, of the sons of God, for the redemption, for a renewal of all things. And so God said, I subjected it not willingly. It wasn't, it wasn't that the earth wanted to be futile and wanted to be broken down, but God said, I subjected it to futility because what it's saying is, is that in the future, when God redeems the earth, all things will be made new, including earth itself, including every person. We long for, if you've got broken bones, I've got two screws in this wrist, and you might have a bad back or a, or a bad neck or something that you've struggled with for years, and, and we long for those renewed, redeemed bodies that we will have one day and what we would look like at that time. You know, all the wrinkles hopefully will be gone and, and, uh, and all the pains and the aches will be dealt with and you will have a renewed body and all of creation hopes and believes in this renewal that is to come. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, God put an angel with a flaming sword before the tree of life because he didn't want them to live forever in their sinfulness and in their brokenness. And he didn't want this world to exist forever under the influence of sinfulness and brokenness. And so he subjected it to futility, but in hope. Here's the point. You are going to be renewed. You are being renewed. All of creation will be renewed. We haven't gotten to the end of the story yet. There is hope, and, and all of creation is longing, it says, for the revealing of the sons of God. I love that. I remember reading Jeremiah, the first time I read Jeremiah, and I read Jeremiah verse 1, and um, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see in the Spirit? What, what am I showing you? And he says, I see an almond branch. And that almond branch, those almond blossoms, similar to those cherry blossoms, like the one I've got on the screen there right now, that, that is an almond blossom. And you'll know if you drive around Joburg, whatever, those are the blossoms that before winter is even done, those ones are like so hopeful. They are so energetic. Those are the most positive little blossoms in the world. And you know, when it's cold and it's wintry and you know, you, we, we've got a tree next door that actually blossoms like that. And, 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 and no matter how cold it is and no matter how much you're struggling with winter, you see one of those blossoms and you're like, it's almost here. Spring is almost here. And, and you get this excitement in your heart. And God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, I see an almond blossom. And God says, right, because I'm watching over my word to perform it. There's, there's a hope that is going to come. And what the scripture is saying, the revealing of the sons of God, listen to this, that God is not only giving us hope, but he is, causing, he is causing us to become hope to a hopeless world. We are the almond blossoms. We are the cherry blossoms. We are the first fruits of hope that show the whole world that in Christ there genuinely is hope and when all of the futility and brokenness and sinfulness of this world is done away with, we will all live in hope with Christ if we have put our trust in him. So we don't only have hope, but we, we are hope. We are hope to a broken world. We represent Jesus 
to a broken world. Bob Goff writes a lot about relationships and about love, and he's one of my favorite authors. Um, and he says this. He says, hope isn't all the things you're wishing for. Hope isn't all the things we're wishing for. It's all the things God is turning us into. That's hope. That's my hope. My hope isn't just, okay, I, you know, I need a new car, and now God gave me a new car, and you know, I need a new house, and God gave me a new house, or you know, I'd like this, and now God gave that to me. That, that, that's a low level of hope. You know what's genuine hope? Is that when I meet my imperfections, and when I meet my own brokenness, and when I experience the brokenness of this world, that I can know that God is turning me into something better. That's true hope. I'm being changed. I'm being transformed into the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Right? If you have an only child, you don't say it's my firstborn. It's my only born. God is saying Jesus is the firstborn of hope so that we would be the siblings of hope. The ones that come after him that reveal the goodness and the love and the, and the glory of God. So that, we would be, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. It says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly as our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees? But if you hope in what you don't see, we wait for it with patience. There's so much that we know and can believe that God is doing in our hearts that we can just simply wait for it with patience. And that is why the church is the most hopeful group of people, sometimes even annoyingly so, <laughs> on the planet. We always have hope. When somebody really knows who they are in Christ, when somebody really knows what God can do in their lives, when somebody really trusts in the presence of God, you just cannot defeat them. You just cannot destroy them. They will just keep going because our hope is in something and someone that doesn't disappoint. That is a firm foundation as we sang this morning. We live by hope, we're called in hope, and we are hope. John 16, Jesus says this. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulations. In one translation, it says you'll have many troubles. Jesus already knew we were going to have many troubles. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Just think about that. Think about if Jesus was physically standing before us today. We know that he's present, but think about if he was physically here. And he looked at you in your situation and he, he pointed at you and he said, take heart. Take heart. Take courage. Be encouraged. Be strengthened. Even though you may be facing trouble, I have overcome the world. I've overcome it. Incredibly powerful words. Don't let your spirit be overwhelmed. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Take heart. God's grace is with you. So I'm going to end this morning by summarizing this passage that we've read into three little parts as to why we have hope, where our hope comes from. And the first one is that we are children of God. Why do we have hope? Because we're his children. Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, you are no longer servants. I no longer call you servants. Some of us still relate to God just purely as servants. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. 
And no greater love is any man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. This is how much Jesus loves you. There's no greater love than the love that Jesus has for us as his friends and as his children, as the children of God. So God wants us to understand that our relationship with him has to go from, oh, we just serve God. Now we do serve God wholeheartedly. I do every single thing that God tells me to do. That's, that's my endeavor of my life. We do serve God, but we are more than just servants. We are children of God. He says, and not just children, but heirs. You, there's an inheritance for you. Co-heirs to the throne with Christ. That's your relationship with God. Now that gives us hope because it tells me God isn't just going to go, you know, what you do when, when a servant or when a worker doesn't do their jobs, you just fire them. Theo and Jody, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to do that right now, but... That's how it works in the world. When somebody doesn't do their jobs, they're fired. You don't serve me properly, you're fired. The Bible says God doesn't see us just as employees or as servants, but as children. So his relationship with us is far greater. He won't abandon us. He won't reject us. He won't ever leave us. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. So we have hope in the fact that we are children of God and that he will never leave us nor forsake us because there's no condemnation. There's nothing that can separate us from him. The second point is that God's spirit is always at work. God's spirit is always at work. So number one, you're a child of God and he is committed to you as your heavenly father. But number two, his spirit is always at work within you. And that's what it says in that scripture when it says that the, the, likewise... When we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He does something beyond, in us beyond what we can do, and, and He gives us the ability to pray according to the will of God. And it, and it says that, that um, He who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It just tells me that God is so involved in your life. Now, how many times do we face situations where we're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, 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 I'm, this, you know, I'm, in, I'm in tension here between two or more decisions, and I don't know where to go. And the Bible says that what God does through His Spirit, He remains involved in your life. This is the hope we have, because there's, you're not a slave to sin anymore. You've been released to the law. There's no condemnation. God is involved in every area, all of the time, and He can redeem every single thing He's working and weaving together a master plan. Even when we miss it, God redeems every mistake. God has the ability to do that and brings it all together. That's why he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, a lot of people say, yes, so you must love God, otherwise all things won't work together for good. But how, why do we love God? It tells us, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first. So our love for God is only because we've realized how much God loves us. And when we've realized the goodness of God, it's what leads us to repentance. So your love for God only comes because you've realized God's love for you. The more you understand God's love for you, the more you'll have love for God, and the more every single thing in your life you'll understand works together for good. Our first initial reaction when we go through difficulties or difficult times is to try and escape, trying to figure it out, trying to get out of it. But the Bible says we can wait with patience. 
because we know that God is at work for those who are called according to his purpose. I love that. I love the fact that God can take the broken areas of our lives, the the broken things in our lives, the mistakes that we've made, and he can redeem it and cause it to work together for good. I had a a prophecy over my life once where uh, somebody said to me that there will be this season and and, and, and things will be broken and, and all of these things. And it says, but with the same measure that you are comforted in that season, God will use you to comfort others also. That's an incredibly hopeful statement for me because it means that whatever I'm going through, it is valuable because in the future I can help someone else. In the future I can give hope to someone else in the same way that I received hope. Whatever you're going through, there is hope for the future because God's spirit is always at work. The third thing is that nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us from his love. And I want to just read the end of Romans 8 from verse 31 to 39. It says this. It says, what then shall we say to th- these things? And, and, and Paul basically writes this and then he gives three questions about your life and God. Just listen to how incredibly inspiring and, and hopeful these are. He says, what then shall we say to all of these things, all of the suffering? He goes, you're not a slave to sin anymore. You've been released from the law. There's no condemnation. You are a child of God. So no matter what you suffer, no matter what you go through, God is involved in your life. His grace is available to you. So what shall we say about living in this broken world? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, that's the first question. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? If God is fighting for you, he is on your side, working all things together for good. Listen to how he is for us. It goes on there to say, he who did not spare his own son, that's the lengths to which God went to provide hope for you. He didn't even spare his own son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God didn't spare his own son when we needed salvation, what makes you think that when you need restoration or when you need healing or when you need provision or when you need something in your life, what makes you think that God would now all of a sudden step back and go, yeah, you know, they didn't deserve it or they haven't done enough for it or I just don't feel like being kind today. <laughs> I just don't feel like helping them out in that situation. You see, this scripture is saying there's no condemnation so you can put your full hope and trust in God. If he didn't spare his own son, how much do you think he wouldn't now with him give you all things graciously, graciously, not because you earned it, graciously. So who can be against us? The second thing he asks then is who is to condemn? Sorry, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Who's gonna condemn you in your life? Who's gonna tell you that that God's favor is no longer for you? Who's gonna disqualify you for the prize? Who's gonna tell you that because of all of your mistakes that that you can no longer be loved by God or you can no longer be blessed by God or God can no longer work in your life because of all the things that you've done? Who will bring a charge against his elect and who is to condemn? Listen to the answer as to why no one can condemn you. Christ Jesus is the one who died. 
more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who can condemn you and cut you off from all the good things that God has for your life? Who can take away your hope by trying to make you feel as if God has abandoned you? He's the one who justifies. And you know why you cannot be condemned? Because Jesus died and he was raised from the dead. That's where our hope is. No one can condemn us. Finally, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us? Who can can be against us if God is for us? Who can condemn us? And who can separate us from his love? He gives the answer here. Shall tribulation, he asks, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Then he gives the answer. He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who's going to separate you from God's love? All the difficulties that you've faced, all the tribulations, all the persecutions, all the insults, all the, all the mean words that have been spoken, uh, whatever it may be, all the sufferings, the violence of this life. Is it going to separate you from God's love? No. And then he goes into what has for many years been my favorite little verse of scripture in verses 38 and 39. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're more than a conqueror today because nothing in this world can separate you from the fact that God is desperately in love with you and that he has already given his son to redeem you, that he has taken away your condemnation and that he is involved in your life at work all of the time. In this life, we many times feel like we're not in control. We don't know where to go. We don't know how we're going to. We cannot see how God is going to do it And that's what the scripture says. It says, when we hope, we hope in something that we cannot see. Because if you can see it, you don't need hope for it. But when you cannot see it, you can wait for it with patience, knowing that God is faithful, he loves you, he died for you, and he is ultimately gonna redeem all things and work it together for good because nothing in this creation, nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That love is yours, and no one can take it away from you. God is for us, who can be against us? Come on, that's the hope that we have because of the gospel. What Paul is saying is it doesn't just apply to the fact that you were forgiven of your sins or that you were released from the law. It now actually affects the way you live every single day. We live by hope. We live in hope. and We live as hope to a dying world. We are the revelation of the grace of God to a broken world. And that's how we live with hope in a broken world such as ours. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's go ahead and pray together this morning.